Hello and welcome back to what I believe is episode lucky number 13 of the Goal Line Podcast. As always, I have a very special guest on hand today. Uh, his name is Quinn Corey. So Quinn is currently a high school soccer head coach in Maryland. I forget the name of the school as I always do, which he will gladly remind us after this. But uh, Quinn and I played together at Centenary. Uh, we're a year apart, so I came in when Quinn was a sophomore. Quinn holds the record for just about every offensive category in program history um, and now lends his talents to the other side of the field on the coaching side. So uh, great to hear his perspective of things and so forth. So Quinn, welcome. Great to have you. Hey, thank you very much, Jesse. Glad to be on with you. So um, what's the name of the high school? So I, uh, I coach at Marriott's Ridge High School, which is in Howard County, Maryland. Um, I also... Uh, I'm on the club side of things. Yeah, so I'm on the club side of things, and I'm a program director of Thunder Soccer Club um, of Howard County, Maryland as well, and I've got two teams, an 06 and an 04 boys squad. So for your program director spot, and we'll get back to all the fun stuff at Centenary, what what exactly are your responsibilities as program director of of your club? So it's a very small club that I work for. Um, We're nestled in next to a couple of very – very big, very prestigious clubs out of Maryland. Um, so as program director of a smaller club, um, I really do interact with just about every team uh, in the club. I'm responsible for doing some of the recruiting as far as coaching goes, uh, organization of tryouts, all the different social media that we do. So being a small club, um, as a program director, I've got a lot of different roles, uh, got a hand in, in a lot of the, the different administrative things for the club. So what have you guys been doing during this COVID-19 period? Instead of organizing trials, what have you guys been doing as a club just to kind of stay together, uh, keep the kids active, and et cetera? Yeah. So this has been a real challenge for us. Um, trying to find ways to stay engaged with our coaches, trying to find ways to stay engaged more importantly with our players has been uh, pretty challenging during this time. Uh, we started with a couple of YouTube videos uh, for different uh, exercises that players can do at home. We did some ball work stuff. Um, we did a thousand touches drill, which is a, a legacy of Josh Spivak and Centenary University. Um, but we did, uh, we did a couple of intro videos. Now we are doing a club-wide live cast on Facebook. So every Tuesday and Thursday, we have one of our coaches um, who's a speed and agility trainer as well as a coach doing some – some drills on Facebook Live for our our teams, our players to to stay engaged and uh, keep practicing. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that's just probably the best thing that we can do is just making sure everyone is staying active as much as they can. So, when you're recruiting for coaches, what are you looking for exactly in a coach? What I, it's hard to have an ideal coach, I would say, but you know, what are some maybe three characteristics that you're looking for when trying to bring in a new coach? That's a great question. Um, as so many of us know, as coaches, there there's so many characteristics that go into a good coach. Obviously, you, you want someone with a, a good knowledge of the game, um, someone who understands uh, the, the tactical aspects of the game. Um, but I think more importantly, you're looking for coaches who, who have a very high standard um, of character 
Uh, you're looking for coaches who are accountable, um, someone who you know is going to show up for their responsibilities, who is going to to bring a high level of energy to everything that they do. Um, because it, it's one thing to understand the game and to know the game, uh, but it's a it's another thing to be able to convey that to the players and to to bring their perspective and their knowledge of the game um, and impress that upon their players and to get the players to understand what the coach understands. So I think the communication with the players um, and the ability to to convey those messages to players, whatever their age. I mean, it's uh, it's difficult to get the the youngest players, your your U8s, U9s, to understand the game um, and what the responsibilities are. Um, so being able to communicate with players is is absolutely the biggest thing that we look for. So when we bring in a new coach, when we're we're looking to add a coach to our program. Um, a lot of observation in, in how they interact with the players goes into whether or not we think they're going to be a good fit. I love it. So when you finished your playing career at Centenary, did you just automatically, like, I mean, you knew you were going to be a teacher. Um, did you always know that you wanted to be on the coaching side of things? Yeah, I think I did. Um, my entire youth <laughs> essentially before I got into high school and college ball I was I was coached by my father um, which I think uh, had its benefits <laughs> but also also certainly had its drawbacks um, but one thing that he always impressed on me and to, to all the players that he coached was always give back to the game always find a way to to, to stay involved and to share your knowledge and share your experience. So that was impressed on me at, at such a young age. And he talked about that so consistently that uh, I knew that once I stopped playing, uh, once my career was over, I had to be involved. Um, you, you can't, if you love soccer, if you're passionate about soccer, if you're passionate about any sport, um, you know that once you stop playing competitively, you miss it so much that you want to find another way to get involved. So I really, really always knew that coaching would be something that I would get involved in. Um, didn't know to what extent that would be. Um, certainly didn't foresee being being so heavily involved in a lot of different things uh, at this point. But I'm I'm so fortunate and so happy that I am where I am today. Absolutely. So. Let me ask you this. So for point of reference for everybody out there listening, Quinn, like I mentioned before, has pretty much rewritten all of the offensive records at Centenary. So Quinn, um, being one of the most talented players from your freshman to senior year in the conference for that matter, you know, what made you choose Centenary? And, you know, talk about a little bit, I guess, the recruiting process, because I know you were looking into some Division One schools as well, maybe some higher level Division Three schools, but you're a kid from Maryland and you're coming to this school that nobody's heard of in New Jersey. So what was it um, that made you choose Centenary? So it's, uh, it's a good story that involves pretty much my whole family. Um, but I have two older brothers who were both very successful soccer players. Um, my oldest brother, Matthew, he was originally recruited to Centenary. Um, 
he had worked with a recruiting company to put together a highlight video. And one of the schools and one of the coaches that reached out was Keith O'Connor, um, who you had on for your last podcast. And um, my brother went and visited Centenary. He actually stayed overnight with uh, Josh Spivak, who is the current coach of Centenary University, um, and ended up not going to Centenary. Uh, he went to Salve Regina up in Newport, Rhode Island and played a few years up there before transferring out. Um, but that started the connection between Centenary and my family. Uh, a year later, when my middle brother, Alex, was looking to, to play in school, um, one of the first coaches to, to reach out and contact him um, was Keith O'Connor at Centenary. So my brother ended up going to Centenary uh, to play for OC and for Josh. Um, and I graduated two years later, uh, and knew I wanted to play. That was no question. Um, but where did I want to play? At what level did I want to play? Um, and certainly there was, there were some conversations and some email exchanges with some bigger schools, but I mean, just going to visit my brother at Centenary, seeing the, the team dynamic that they had, seeing an ability to not just be an athlete, to really put student first was something that interested me. Um, I wasn't sure where my soccer career would have, was going to take me, and I wanted to make sure that I got a real experience, a, an authentic college experience. Um, and just having my brother there was a great connection, and I, I don't think I've ever made a better choice. I was so happy with with everything that happened at Centenary from a soccer perspective, but also from an educational perspective. I mean, that's, that's why I am where I am today teaching. Um, and then also being able to coach. Um, and that really is my, my passion is the teaching side of things. Yes. Yeah, so, so do you think it was more your brother that kind of drew you sent to Centenary or was it what Josh and OC were doing during that recruiting process? Because you know, as much as I love AK, you know, you're, you're clearly the better brother. <laughs> so it's like, you know, what, you know, what did they do to kind of make that process for you a lot easier? And, and I obviously AK being there helped a lot. So it was certainly a combination, um, of, of AK, right. And going and visiting the school and staying overnight, um, and just getting an experience to, to be with the team. Um, but as far as as far as Josh and and, and OC were concerned, uh, I love their philosophy. Right, I've I've always been of a mind that the the best way to play soccer is to is that possession style. And uh, you've talked about it in your past few podcasts. Um, with for listening, o, of course, with OC and Josh, <laughs> I had to study, make sure I didn't look like a fool. Um, but uh, certainly, the style that they wanted to play. Um, was very appealing to me. Uh, I've always loved that possession style of soccer, and I, I wanted to play that. And I wanted to play for a program that was invested in that style. Uh, so Josh and OC were, were phenomenal, but really just going and watching the games and watching my brother play and watching the way that the team played, I knew that there was something there that I wanted to be a part of. Um, so certainly it's a combination of a lot of factors that drew me there to Centenary. Um, Josh and OC played a, a, a an enormous role in that, uh, my brother as well, but again, just the game itself and going and watching the team play and just, I, I remember the warm up, watching the team warm up 
and it was so organized and it was so precise and it, it, it felt very professional in a way. And I, I'll always remember watching Centenary warm up the first time I went to see them play. And for whatever reason, that just stuck with me. And that was something I wanted to be a part of. Interesting. You wanted to be a part of a great warm up. I love it. Um, <laughs> just, yeah, just the warm up. And then, as you know, uh, later on, I wasn't involved in the warm up at all. <laughs> but uh, for, very, whatever very reason, for whatever reason, that, that stuck out to me. And just as a high school kid, it was like, yeah, I, I want to be a part of that. I like that. So when two, so when your first two years, you guys were, well, I guess we, because I was there for one of them, but we were very average. And 2013, did you feel a difference or a change coming that year? Or was it kind of like the way it started and the way we just got off to such a, you know, on and off start? Was it just like, oh, here's another year of, you know, making the playoffs and not going anywhere with it? That's a great Great, great question. I don't know if I can point to one thing that really let me know, hey, this is a this is a different year. The the feeling is different. The experience is going to be different. Um, I thought in uh, in 2012 when we just barely squeaked into the playoffs in the last game, um, I think in the last minute of the last game, uh, certainly we knew that we we had talent, we had players. Um, but that 2013 year, I think you talked about this extensively with Rito, but there was a difference. And I don't know if I noticed it then, but looking back now um, and looking at the, the, the team makeup itself and how effective Reed was as a leader – Certainly, it, it feels a lot different looking back now. I don't know if I noticed it then, um, but with a with a couple of years in between, um, being able to look back, and especially being able to look back from a coach's perspective rather than just from a player's perspective, um, there was something different. And I can't pinpoint exactly what it was, but the the leadership um, of Reed specifically certainly it, it made a difference. So what do you think it was about Reed and even about the team, you know, because Reed being the humble guy that he is, he won't take credit. But I think we can all, you know, give a lot of the credit to Reed. But, you know, what do you think he did so well? And then how did how did we come come together with Reed, essentially or behind Reed? So Reed was connected to everyone. Right. When you're looking for a leader, uh, especially a captain of a team of any sport, you need someone who can connect to every single individual on the team, um, whether that's directly or indirectly. Um, and Reed was able to do that. He, he had the respect of everyone on the team, but not only that, he could also communicate. He could sit down and have a conversation with anyone on the team about any subject and everyone would listen. Um, and that's something that is, that is, it's hard to find from a coaching perspective. I, I look for that when I pick captains. Um, but certainly not everyone has that ability. Uh, not only was Reed a great player and not only did he lead by example, which he did extremely well. Um, but he, he had a personal connection to each individual on the team. 
What was your favorite memory? Oh, geez. With Reed. I, I, I have two that I can <laughs> pick out very well. So. Well, maybe three. Yeah, I mean, there, there's there's so many. Um, <laughs> but it, it's got to be the overtime header. Uh, who was that against? Oh, geez. Over, the one I, I posted about? Yeah, the one you posted about. I don't Ooh. think that was overtime. Was that- it was purchased. I thought it was just late in the game. I don't late in the game, think it was over. Yeah. Got you. I don't well, think it was overtime, but it could have been. Well, whatever it was, I just read on the field was he was just the most passionate player you'll ever meet. Um, everything just it fired him up and it inspired everyone around him just to see him so passionate. So when he scored that goal, it was just I mean, even I think I remember it as overtime because I remember the emotion of the celebration. It was like an overtime celebration, even if it wasn't an overtime celebration. Right. Um, <laughs> everyone was so happy and so pumped up that he scored. I mean, the the other celebration that that comes to mind was uh, Lucho's goal against Cabrini. Um. To, to push overtime in the the semifinal game of 2013 um but it was it was just the the passion that Reed had and he was always passionate but seeing him score such an important goal at such an important time in that purchase game for whatever reason that that sticks out to me so much and just I remember the elation that we all had after that goal and it was uh no one deserved it more than Reed, um, but as a center back, as you know, there's not too many opportunities to score. Uh, so when they do get him, it's just it's so much fun to watch it. So when when we're when you were talking about your career, by the way, my favorite memory probably was during that practice when it would have been his junior year about Jason Bernier. That was hysterical. Oh. Just ripped him. <laughs> but um, uh, that could have been my favorite. But we won't get into that. Um, no, so when we talk about your career, you know, after your freshman year, because you did start just about every game, is that correct? Yeah, just about, yep. Yeah. Did you think that you could break all those records, you know, barring any injuries or anything like that? I don't think it ever crossed my mind until pretty late in my career at Centenary. Um Certainly not going in as a freshman. That uh, was just it. It never crossed my mind. I was an attacking player in high school, so I, I wanted to contribute. I wanted to score goals. I wanted to get assists. Um, but it was never in my mind that hey, I'm I'm coming to this school and I'm going to break records. Um, it just ended up happening along the way. Um, but I really I just wanted to contribute to a college program. Um, and OC and Josh gave me that opportunity and put me in positions uh, to be successful. And that's that's really all it came down to. I don't think it was ever a major goal of mine. And it wasn't even something that crossed my mind until until pretty late on. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. So one thing I've started thinking about just from with Reed and then OC and Josh was we won the conference in 2013 you know, after being predicted to finish sixth and, you know, nobody really thought even, you know, a couple guys on our, you know, even our team really didn't think that we could win. We come in 2014 with, you know, I think a, a roster that was just as talented. I mean, we had a great freshman class. 
plus all of our, you know, my grade, your grade. I mean, we were, everyone was back, you know, we lose our back line, which was obviously very rough, but you know, we get everyone back and more. Um, you know, why do you think we failed in 2014? I think we, we finished fifth in the conference that year. You know, what do you think it, I mean, I, I have my opinions, but what do you think it was that led from a championship to now the, the championship hangover? So that's a great question. And it certainly does. I mean, from my perspective, it goes to the leadership, um, on the team. Uh, I was not a leader. Um, and I, I, I can fully recognize that now. Um, but we didn't, I don't think we had the, the, the core group that was all seeing eye to eye throughout the entire season. Um, I think we had a, a lot of personalities and a lot of conflicting personalities. Um, and it just, it, there was something different about the feel of the program. Um, and certainly I, I, I don't think I helped at all in the, in the leadership <laughs> phase because uh, yeah, I mean, I. yeah uh, looking back, I don't think I was an easy player to coach and I, I don't, and we joke about this all the time, but I really, I don't think that I was the, the best teammate in the world for pulling a team together. You know, I, I had an ego as a player, um, as much as it, it hurts me to admit that now looking back, there was, I, I had an ego and I, I, I was a selfish player you, to a certain but extent. I, 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 don't, you, I also don't think you were the only one with an ego though. I think, you know, thinking back on it now again too, I think everybody on our team had an ego oh, and absolutely. one that nobody could put aside, you mm-hmm. know? I mean, I had an ego. Then we had Saba had the, had an ego. Lucho had an ego. I mean, all of our freshmen had egos, you know. So it was like there was just a team full of egos, and we couldn't find a way. And, and the only way, the only time we did that, I think, or put everything aside, was at Keystone when we come back and win down two guys. But you know, after that, <laughs> if you remember, we lose to Gwinnett at home, yep. like two nothing. Yeah, and it was just like everybody had egos that nobody could put aside. Yeah. And it, we, we never had that unifying factor because I think it's important to have players with egos. I think it's important to have players that have confidence um, and know that when they step on the field, they're going to make a difference. Um, but you need a unifying factor. You need something within that team, within that program to pull everyone back together and to rein in those egos. And, and I, I just don't think we had that one thing that unified the group. Um, it was a very, it, it, there was a lot of differences within that team and a lot of differences within personalities, which is fine, but you need that one factor, that one unifying thing that's going to pull everyone back together to make it work. Because I think that was, that was one of the most talented programs throughout the history of centenary soccer. Um, we had, we had I mean, amazing, yeah. amazing talent, but we didn't have the thing to pull us together. Um, and, and I mean, you can point right back to the year before where maybe a less talented group, but every single game was a battle and a fight for each other. Um, and I don't think I didn't feel that. And looking back now, that certainly played much less of a role um, outside of maybe the Keystone game for us as a program that year. 100%. Yeah. It, it's a little upsetting, but you know, I guess it's all just a learning experience. So when, when you graduated, 
and we and you finish your career um when you look back on it what were some of your biggest takeaways and things that you learned as a player whether it be from just playing or josh and oc that you took with you to start when you started coaching high school yeah that's a that's an awesome question thank you and it goes back to what we were just talking about right identifying early one unifying thing and it might be a 9-2 loss to FDU. Um, mm-hmm. it, it can be really anything, but a, a rallying cry for your team or a person on your team, if you have that one person or those, the, those two people as captains, to really bring a team together. Um, and that's when I look back at my college career and I look at the difference between those seasons uh, where I think – as a program, we underperformed in probably three out of my four years, probably three out of my four years. But in that fourth year, my junior year, 2013, I think we we outperformed ourselves. Um, right. And we, we brought ourselves to a new level and we had – you got to find something within your team that becomes that rallying point. And if that's you as a coach identifying – who that captain's going to be, that's going to bring everyone together. Um, identifying those couple of people who have a personal connection with everyone on the team and can can kind of break down the clicks within every squad. If you can find that person, awesome. Or if it's some, it's a it, it's a, a game to point to, or a situation going on off the field that unifies that group of players. Um, but trying to identify that as a coach can be very difficult. Yeah. So when you started coaching your first year coaching, um, what, what were some of the challenges you face? I mean, you're young, you're young, right? You're fresh out of college, you're coaching kids, you know, at most, you know, five, six, seven years older. What were some of the things that you were looking to, get out of them in your first year. And even now to this day, because as we know, high school, it's not really like you pick and choose, you know, you're kind of, I don't want to say stuck, but you're, you're kind of just given the hand that you're dealt. So what is, what's one thing that you want these kids to, to take away from you? So I think the, the biggest key, especially with the high school game, I mean, the club game, you, you have a group of players who, I mean, they could be staying together for, for 10, 10 years, um, before they're off to college, if you get them at that U8 squad. So you might have a core group of players that sticks together for the whole time. Um, and they they kind of they can create that unity over a much longer period of time. They're playing uh, a spring season, they're playing a fall season, they're usually doing some indoor in the winter and are going to soccer camps together in the summer. So they can create that unifying thing organically um, and very quickly, take other players from outside of that and mold them into the culture of the team. With high school, it's different, right? You've got this group of guys who shows up. They're all playing for different club teams. Um, you don't – you have to go with whoever shows up to tryouts. Um, and then you have to create that in a very short period of time, um, create that unity in a very short period of time. So that's something that's certainly very challenging about the high school game and having – captains and identifying captains who can do that without you 
I think makes makes your life so much easier as a coach. Um, my first year as a head coach of the high school program, I had the most phenomenal group of seniors who were able to unify the team without me at all. I, I mean, I could have disappeared completely and that group would have would have been successful. Um, they were another group who, remembering back to 2013, yeah, they were they were good players, but they they overperformed. They they outplayed mm-hmm. teams that were better than them skill wise because they had that unifying factor. And that's something that every year, when you look at as a high school coach, when you look at the group of players coming in, trying to identify that is it's tough to do. And I mean. You swing and you miss sometimes, and you you don't hit the nail on the head, and you don't find that one unifying factor, and then by the time you realize that, you're headed into playoffs because it's such a condensed season. Yeah, and you know, speaking of that condensed season, you know, you're you're trying to play like 20 games in essentially two months um, because it's such a short time. Are you? And obviously, the answer is going to be both. But would are you as a coach more? focus on a skill development side of things or character development? So I think every coach has to be more focused on character development. Um, And that's, that's regardless of the sport. That's regardless of whether it's club ball, academy ball, um, high school ball. I think all of our coaches need to go character development first. I mean, you look at the statistics of how many youth players end up playing at the next level. And it's it's such a small percentage. Um, so if you're not focusing on character development, you're missing the whole point of sports. You're missing the whole point of why we do what we do. Um, so skill development's phenomenal. And when you get to teams at the highest levels, of course, you've got to focus on skill development. You've got to focus on getting those those players better. But in 99% of youth sports, you have to focus on getting those people better. And that's something that I think, uh, I think we miss the mark sometimes as coaches. And I've certainly had my struggles with that and had to recenter and think about, hey, these are, these are young men that I'm coaching, they're not just soccer players. And we need to instill the the character development that sports teaches more so than we need to to make sure a player can take a ball out of the air. Right. So what what does the role of your assistant coach look like? So uh, unfortunately, where we are, we don't have uh, paid assistant coaches um, for our high school program. Um, so it's a volunteer position. Um, and I've, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have uh, a JV coach who has been with the program um, since it started at the high school. Um, and I have a, a volunteer assistant. Um, so I'll, I'll drop some names here. So when they listen to this, they hear the, they hear the names. But uh uh, Paul Courtney's my JV coach, and he's been with the program for forever, um, and has really, really molded me into the coach I am as far as character development. Um, because he is, he is, he cares so much about his players, and when you see that, when you see how they respond to him, um, 
it's it's amazing right so when i can focus on the team and talk about the different things that i want us to be doing tactically the different things i want us to be doing technically uh he as my jv coach um and my other assistant coach fred teodosio um can do more of the leading the player. So as a head coach, I can lead the team and I can talk about the bigger picture things and the bigger picture items. But within that, having assistant coaches like Paul and like Fred who can take that one player aside and talk about it in a different way um, to to meet each player's needs, I think is so important. Um, So having an assistant coach who shares your vision of the game um, but also has an understanding of how to get to each player in a more personal setting that the head coach is not always available for, I think is is phenomenal. It's it's such a help to the team dynamic. And I think Josh Spivak at Centenary, he did that extremely well. Right. So as as OC would would go over, hey, here's the here's the big picture. Here's what I need everyone to do. Josh could take someone, take me aside and say, hey, within this system that he's talking about, here's your specific role. Um, And I think assistant coaches are so important in in getting to a more personal level with the players. Yeah. And so also, you're also a teacher at the school. So I am. Do you think that being a teacher kind of, I don't know if give it, say, giving you an advantage is the right word, but you know, it builds a bigger sense of community, right? Because now these kids have access to you just about every day, anytime, you know, has, has any one of your players come in just to talk to you on like one of your free periods or their free periods or anything. And you're able to just break down the game, break down, just being a student, anything like that. And have, have you felt that that has kind of helped build a sense of community and trust within your players and your team? Oh, I'm, I'm very lucky to be teaching where I coach. Um, and I know as a high school coach, you dream of that, right? Because you can have those meetings during free periods. You can have those meetings right after school. Before I started teaching at the school, I was coaching there, but I was teaching at a middle school, um, down the road. And I was showing up as practice was starting, uh, it was much more difficult to hold meetings. Um, so there's there's a massive advantage to being in the school. I have players who they don't go to lunch. They come to my classroom and they eat lunch in my classroom and we'll bring up film. We'll talk about the system. We'll talk about what, what specific roles are. And it does really help to build that community knowing that I'm right down the hall. Um, and I can check on their grades at all times, right? I know all their teachers. Um, they're my coworkers. So I'll knock on their door and be like, Hey, how's, uh, how's this person doing in biology? Like, Oh, they haven't turned in the last three assignments. I can walk right downstairs into the lunchroom, grab them and get them to turn in those three assignments. So it's, it's amazing how, how much more effective I feel like I am as a coach um, not just on the the soccer side of things, but on that character development that we talked about by being in the school because I'm much closer, I'm much more accessible to my players, um, and it is an advantage. It's a it's a serious advantage, I think. 
So, you know, we, we mentioned a lot about egos in our 2014 team playing together. Um, you know, it's funny on one of my recent episodes or a little bit recent, my buddy asked me who I thought had bigger egos, whether it be like a college kid or high school kid. And I said, high school. And just because, you know, I said it's easy to be good at high school sports, whatever, whatever. But, you know, do you feel that egos are a play a bigger role in high school than in college? Like are egos bigger in high school, do you think? And kind of does that affect the team success the way it affected our success in a negative way um, when we were playing together? I think egos do play a bigger role in high school. I agree with you completely there. Um, because as you said, it's, it's easier to be a great player in high school. It's easier to be the star in high school. And certainly when you, when you look at the difference between high school ball and division three ball or at centenary, I had, there were a lot more fans in the stands mm-hmm. for the high school games than there ever were for the college games. Right. Um, so I think that can, that can get to players and that can inflate the ego a little bit um, more so in high school than it does in college. But it, it, I think it still has, it can have the same effect on a team if it's not handled well. Right. There's, there's always something to be said for confidence. And there's always something to be said for a player who, who knows that they're going to go out there and they're going to do their job, and they're going to score that goal, and they're going to make that save. Uh, but it can get in the way. And, and as we know, in, in, in order to create that team atmosphere and to create a successful program, you have to have coaches and you have to have players that can manage the egos within the group. Um, because if they're not managed, you're going to underperform, and that's just the bottom line. Right. So you are now entering your fourth, fifth year, fourth year, fifth year coaching. Oh, geez. Fifth. Yeah, maybe. What, what, what year? Uh, so 2015. 2015. All right. So yeah, fifth year. All right. Good thing we're not math teachers here. Quinn, oh, Quinn no, is a history no, teacher, yeah. everybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, Reed is a math teacher, though. I forgot to mention. But, um, but yeah, so where have you seen yourself grown from year one to now entering year five as a coach and even as a person? You know, because I've seen, you know, I, I think it's easy to see a lot of growth internally, but, you know, externally for people to see growth. I mean, you were always one of the more mature students or kids in our on our team, but, you know, where have you seen yourself grow as a coach from year one to year five? So the biggest thing is my knowledge of the game, uh, my knowledge of the tactics. Uh, certainly as a player, when you're on the field, you're, when I was, when I was playing, a lot of the the things that I did, a lot of the runs that I made, it just it there are ideas that pop into your head as you're playing. And you're like, oh, I'm going to do that, and hopefully it'll work out. As a coach now, when I watch games, I'm thinking about the whys. Like, why does that work? Not just did it work and did did we score off of that play, but why is that working? How did how did this player's movement? create that opportunity? How did the player on the opposite side of the field who has nothing to do with the play, how did they open up the run for the player behind them? Um, and certainly, uh, I, I think I've got a much better 
knowledge of the the tactical aspects of the game. Um, whereas a player, I just I I did what I thought was going to work. Sometimes <laughs> it did, and sometimes it didn't. Um, but I I never really thought about the whys behind it. And as a coach, you start to see the whys because you're not looking through the eyes of the player, right? You're looking at the entire field and you're looking at how all of these different moments and different interactions are occurring to create what you want as a coach, what you want your system to be. So certainly my knowledge of the, the tactical side of the game has increased exponentially. Mm-hmm. So what are, I guess, let's say, what are two or three things in terms of kind of life lessons that you want to teach your high school students or your high your students and players for that matter. So uh, I'm just hit you with a with a tough question. No, it's out a, of nowhere. It's a deep question, but honestly, deep question. We, we talked about this that the character development is is the most important thing. I mean, you can't substitute that. Like I said, when you get to the highest of the high levels of youth sports, yeah, maybe you're focusing more on the technical or the tactical aspects. But for most youth coaches of any sport, you've got to focus on the character development. Um, So what are you trying to get your players to understand? And I think the biggest one is how to fail, right? Mm -hmm. Using sports to teach kids that, you know what, you're not going to be successful every single time. You're not going to win every single game. You're not going to score every single opportunity that you get, but can you continue to play and can you continue to grow when those failures happen? Right. Teaching, teaching kids how to lose is the most important thing that youth sports can do, right? Because teaching them how to lose in sports shows them that, Hey, in life, when you don't get that job, or when you when you don't succeed at this one thing, are you going to just drop it and never go back to it again? Or are you going to show up the next day, figure out, hey, this is what I need to do better. This is what I did wrong. This is how I make myself successful. So trying to instill that in players is, I mean, you, you can't do anything more important as a as a coach of youth sports than teach kids how to fail and how to fail up, how to fail and get better from it. I love it. I love that. So last question we can wrap up with talking about failing. And I hate to keep bringing up your senior year because, you know, at least I look at that year as a failure, but what would you have done differently or have told yourself differently about that year and yourself as a leader? And how would you have changed your attitude in 2014? Oh, geez. I'd change everything. (laughs) I'd change everything about my attitude that senior year. Um, I was I was so I was so egotistical my senior year um in terms of I didn't feel that the team was coming together so I started I started playing for myself and that is that is the the biggest mistake that you can make as a player um is playing for yourself and playing for the the number on your kit rather than the name on your kit, and I did that. I, I and I think that was all, that's something that I did throughout my career. Is I played for myself 
And I thought about the team second. Um, and as a senior that year, I, that's, that's something that the team needed people to, to put the team first, right? And they needed people to, to stop thinking about their, themselves and start thinking about how is the team itself going to be successful and what can I do to make the team successful? Um, and I, I didn't do that. And my junior year, I got away with it because we had amazing leadership. And we had players on the team that no matter what, we're always putting the team first. Um, so I think I got away with it a lot more in the years prior. Um, but once we got to that senior year, I mean, playing for myself was the worst possible thing for the program. And I played for myself. That was, I, I can look back now uh, on the experience five, five years later and say, that was, that's certainly something that I regret. Um, and if I could go back and do it differently, I certainly would have. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think you're the only one there playing for themselves. But last question. Um, if you, let's say you were to leave, go to a new school, you know, next year, two years from now, whatever it may be, take a new head coaching job. What do you want your current and former players to have said about you as a person and as a coach? So I want them to say that I cared about them, right? And that every player that leaves my program, and I don't even call it my program, that's stupid, our program, um, because it's got, it's got very little to do with me. Uh, but every player that leaves the program, whether it's on the club side um, or whether it's on the high school side, whatever team, any of my players that, that move on, uh, I want them to say that I cared about them as people, right? And Love that, it. and that, yeah. yeah, go ahead. No, I mean, it, it's funny because like the past three people I've asked, it, it's all been the same thing. And, you know, Ali Simmons, who's the assistant at Seton Hall, there's the same thing. He was like, I just want them to know that I cared. And Josh and OC asked me on the last, last one, he's like, what have you learned from us? And I was like, well, you guys just cared. And, you know, that's, I don't know if it's ironic, but, it, you know, it just, I think it's just the, whatever, what a coach is, you and know, that, it's a coach is a, it's more, he's more than a coach. He's somebody that cares, you know, he's family absolutely. or she. Yeah. And, and absolutely. That's huge. And here's the thing. I mean, as coaches, we have to understand when we, when we fail at that too, right? Because sometimes we, we don't connect with the player in the way that we need to. Um, and I think it's just as important to identify the players that we do connect with as it is to look at the players that we didn't connect with uh, and, and say, hey, I, I missed there. I failed there. How can I prevent that from happening going forward? Because there are certainly players that, that I've had in the past that they don't feel that. And that's something that maybe I, I, I didn't do well enough. Right, and there's certainly give and take between the player and the coach in order to make that connection happen, in order to create that personal relationship. Um, but it's it's every coach's responsibility to to try to make that happen to the best of their ability. Absolutely, absolutely, I love that. Love that you ended with that. So, Quinn, I appreciate you coming on, taking the time. Hope you and the family are staying safe during this time and healthy. And let everyone know I say hi. 
Again, thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Pleasure to be here. Thank you very much, Jesse. Keep doing what you're doing. All right. Love it. Talk to you soon.